does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Welcome back to Query Company. Happy Tuesday to you. Pacers in preseason action last night. One of the very best to cover them is our next guest. You know him on Setting the Pace podcast. He is Alex Golden. Nice enough to take some time with us. Alex, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Jimmy. How are you doing? Alex, you got us? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you loud and clear. All right, sorry. No, I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks, as always, for making the time for us. Let's Absolutely. Lo- let's look at where your observations are initially from preseason, because Jake and I go back and forth with this. You talk about the value or undervalue of the NFL preseason. Sometimes the NBA preseason gets even further lost because of maybe the program it's going up against or the, the visibility of it. Of course, you can catch a lot of it here on the fan, but from your standpoint... Through the preseason, what have been your observations so far, even though the Pacers lineup has never fully been complete, although it was more complete than at any point in time in the preseason last night? Yeah, I think last night was the first real small sample size that we got to see with Tyrese back in the fold. Him not playing in the first two preseason games, it was hard to have any real takeaways, specifically with the starting lineup. Now, I do think it was kind of interesting to see how the second unit had had shaken out a little bit and how they've made some different changes to that, but Overall, I think that we're, we're going to see the Pacers continue to grow defensively. There, there's still a lot of work to be done there, but I feel like offensively we know this team can really put the ball in the basket, and that's been the case through the first three preseason games. It's just been defense, rebounding, and then staying out of foul trouble. Is it a rational or an irrational fear when I look at, you know, the NBA? It feels like there's big gaps going into the second half, and then there's a huge close from the third quarter on. You mentioned the Pacers' defensive struggles and them still working on that. And I know it's preseason, so we can take it with a grain of salt, but the way the Hawks kind of gave a fight late, is that just that's life in the NBA, or is it still yeah, there's stuff to clean up defensively as the regular season approaches? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, it is just life in the NBA. That, that happens. Teams make comebacks. But at the same time, Miles Turner fouled out last night in the third quarter with like seven minutes left. I mean, the Pacers didn't have their best unit out there for the majority of those minutes when the Hawks didn't make that comeback. And by getting up so big, having a huge second quarter outscoring the Hawks 43-15, to 15, it's and essentially preseason basketball is meaningless basketball, right? So I think that for the players mentally, they just weren't as, as locked in going into that second half where the Hawks really were playing with nothing to lose at that point, and they were the more desperate team. So I wouldn't read too much into that, but I do think that they did some, some, some things poorly, and I felt like when we saw some of the second and third unit guys come in there, we just kind of saw how much of a drop-off it is from the starting five. Speaking of drop-offs, uh, Alex, how bad did your numbers drop off when I did the podcast with you the other day? <laughs> no, actually, I thought it was a really good conversation, Jake. Don't, uh, don't hang on yourself too much there, but it, it did pretty well. Okay, well, I want to make sure there wasn't too big a drop-off. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me if there's a drop-off, so thank you for the charity there. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this, Alex. In terms of – I agree with you that preseason basketball is, quote, meaningless. Except for that, I do think that it gives them opportunity, the Pacers, to – you know, toy a little bit with lineups, find out which guy, you know, who plays who plays well with each other, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, because some mm-hmm. guys do play better, 
you know, depending on who's on the floor with them, they play well off one another, etc. Give me a guy so far that it just seems like is still trying to kind of feel his way or, you know, amongst the new faces in particular, which one so far has shown the steepest learning curve? Yeah, that, I think there's a couple different names I could mention here, but I'm probably going to go Jairus Walker, and I know that it sounds kind of interesting to, to say him out of all the new guys, but I feel like as a rookie, he had a pretty nice first game. He was not in the 10-man rotation to start out in that first game against Memphis, but really came on strong in the second half. I think he finished with like 27 points. But the game against Houston and the game against Atlanta, he really struggled. So I think that there's just a bit of a learning curve there for him as a rookie and just trying to get his feet wet and figure things out. I think Miles Turner said it best last night when he talked about the game is just moving really fast for him. In terms of the new additions that have been in the league, I think that with uh, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, they didn't have great first starts to to start out uh, the first two preseason games. But with Tyrese last night back at home, it felt like there was a, a more chemistry that had been established through training camp, and it felt like those guys were connecting better than maybe I thought they would to start things off. So, yeah, it's a work in progress, but I, I still think that they're further ahead than how Jarris has connected just because I feel like Jarris is still trying to figure out where he belongs and how he can impact the game. Alex, do you remember Andrew Nemhard's rookie year? We didn't know a lot about him. We knew that he was a mature player coming out of college. And as you watched him, you kind of figured out, you know what, this guy just kind of does whatever's asked of him and and there's not a lot of flash to it, but he's a a nice, solid player where maybe there's no one area where he's above a seven, but he's not below a six in any area either, right? He's just a good, solid player and very Mm -hmm. composed. Is Ben Shepard going to be that kind of guy? I think through the first three preseason games, you have to – you have to lean yes with this. I still think it's too small of a sample size because they have been playing uh, some some teams that have not been playing their full rosters. But you can't take away what Ben's done. And I think with this being such a deep roster at that two position, at that three position now, for him to crack the rotation and get in there and, and become part of that second unit, that says volumes about where he's at in terms of the pecking order for, for the coaching staff. He's proven that th- that he can do a lot of different things and – he just plays the game the right way. He has a great demeanor to him, pretty poised, doesn't get overwhelmed. Yeah, the game's still moving a little fast for him as well, but he just comes in there, knocks down shots, and I think that he, when he starts off hot, you just feel pretty good. I think he went 3 or 4 to start off last night against Atlanta, and that's just great confidence. Rick Carlisle compared his game uh, a little bit to Buddy Hill, which I thought was an interesting comparison, but he's just constantly moving without the basketball and, and constantly trying to find ways to impact the game. So, yeah, it looked like if you were looking at the roster going into the training camp, oh, this guy's not going to crack the rotation, similar to Nimhard last year. And now look at him, it's going to be hard to not put him in the rotation because he's definitely earned those minutes. When you look at Shepard and what he brings to the table, and we'll stay on that focus for a second here, Alex Golden, um, is it the shooting ability or is it just kind of the the tenacity and energy that he brings that then just vicariously kind of lifts everybody else? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, Jake. I think that when you when you think about Ben Shepard, you think, oh, this is a guy that really shot the ball well. But it's not just the shooting. It's defensively. Yeah, he's he's still young and he's still figuring things out. But he he's a little bit more disciplined on the defensive side of things than you would see out of most rookies. I think that he's continuing to showcase why he's in an important part of this team moving forward. I wasn't really sure what to think of him playing at Belmont. But at the same time, He's got the biggest smile uh, of anybody on the team, and he plays with that 
the same energy. I think that he just has an infectious personality that it's really fun to cheer for him. And if you saw him hit that first three in the uh, in the second quarter, I believe maybe it was the first quarter, the bench was going crazy for him. And I think that a lot of the players on the team just have grown to love him early on. And I think that's going to help with the type of energy that this team needs in terms of a personality like that. Alex Golden joins us, host of Setting the Pace. You can subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Staying with Ben Shepard for a second. I know it's preseason, so the minutes are skewed a bit, but he gets 22 minutes last night. McConnell gets 20. No Andrew Nemhard. Where does the minutes cut arrive once Nemhard returns? Is it from Shepard? Is it from McConnell? Is it somewhere else? Where does that minutes distribution end up in your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm I'm going to lean McConnell gets minutes cut only because I think Carlisle has emphasized a few different times that Nimhart is naturally a point guard and they wanted to get him back in that role. And that's particularly why he hasn't been mentioned as a starter, even though the starting five has not been solidified. Um, it feels like they want to see Andrew run the point guard a little bit more. He was so good in summer league and Tyrese Halliburton said it several times. He was way too good to be in the summer league. He was too talented for that. But I think that Andrew is definitely more of a point guard than he is an off-ball guard, but he can play both. Now, I can see the Pacers cutting Shepard's minutes and giving it to McConnell just because he's a veteran, he's proven himself, and he's played really well in preseason too. But if you're looking at trying to win and be impactful and long-term, I think it does make sense to let Nimhart run the point and let Ben kind of grow there. But at the same time, you have to factor in maybe Jairus Walker will eventually crack that rotation with the second unit as well which means minutes are going to have to be edged out somewhere again. So I think it's just a tough job for Carlisle to figure out where he's going to give all these minutes to, but it could be matchup dependent and how they determine who plays what spot and who gets minutes that night. But until someone takes it away from him, I'm going to lean Shepard gets the, gets the nod the first couple of games of the season and see how that plays out. Alex, are you a married guy? I am a married guy. Okay. So, Jimmy, you're a married guy, right? I am. Okay. So, both of you guys, you know, at some point, I'm assuming that your wife was like, you know, hey, we got to clean out the closet or, you know, create some new space. Um, so, you're going through your stuff and you're throwing stuff out. And then, Alex, there's everybody has like that one pair of boots or like a winter coat that you haven't worn in like four years, but you're like, yeah, I'm not going to get rid of that because there's going to be a time when I need it. And 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 if I get rid of it, that's going to be when I need it and I can't find it. Or something around the house like that. Anything like that come to mind? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. Okay. So uh, my question is this. Is that Isaiah Jackson? Hmm. Like, they haven't necessarily <laughs> needed him yet. And they haven't really found like exactly when they're going to routinely and regularly wear him. But yet, you don't want to get rid of them because you're afraid that as soon as you do, all of a sudden there's going to be something where you're like, I knew I should have held on to that. And that's what yeah. he feels like. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a good analogy. I think that Isaiah, we have to remember, he's only 21 years old. And, and that's where it gets kind of tricky because, yeah, I think Jalen Smith definitely has outplayed him in the preseason and is more deserving of the backup center minutes. And I think Daniel Tice was a DNP coach's decision last night. So Isaiah still got the third string minutes there. But at the same time, Isaiah – playing with third-string players and guys that are more likely going to be playing in the G League or on two-way contracts, it doesn't give him a fair shake in terms of what he really can become if he's not playing with the guys that are going to be in the regular rotation. But they, they picked up that option for next year, too, so they have him all the way through the twenty-five or 24-25 season. So it does feel promising that, that he's still here for potentially a couple more years. But I agree with you. It, it seems like if they do move off, you do have a little bit of nervousness about what he could become. But – 
at the same time, they have to realize Tyus has a team option next year and Jalen Smith has a player option. If both those guys leave, well, then you do need a backup center, and Isaiah Jackson could be that guy. Were you surprised, Alex Golden, and Alex Golden NBA, by the way, the Twitter handle for Alex, were you surprised that Daniel Tice, I thought last year when he was acquired, and I know he wasn't healthy, but I thought maybe he was an enforcer type, like the goon type role, the muscle type role. We talked about it with Chad Buchanan as well. And then once he didn't get on the floor a lot last year, I thought maybe that was a player that they were going to try to flip and that maybe he was just an asset that was brought in kind of as a throw-in. But it seems as though they do have plans for him yet. Would you agree with that statement, or do you think, in fact, he is still a guy that could be sent elsewhere? Yeah, I would probably lean the latter there just because it feels like if he was going to be a part of this rotation, he would get more consistent minutes with the backup unit, which he hasn't really gotten any. When Turner was out, he started. Um, He hasn't played in preseason game one or three. So I'm kind of curious how they feel about him. I do think that he still has a lot of good basketball left in him. He's probably one of the smarter players in terms of their veteran guys. He, he's played a lot of good basketball, and I think they have a lot of respect for him. But they're still thinking long-term here, and I think they're thinking of, of how they want to play. And I just don't necessarily think Daniel Tice plays the same style that they want to play. Even though he could provide good minutes for him, I don't necessarily think that it's the right fit for him. So trying to find a home for him would make the most sense to me. But at the same time, it's one of those things where you like the insurance of having a guy that can really provide some meaningful minutes at the center position and someone you can trust, whereas Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith have not been as consistent in their career. Uh, Alex Golden, by the way, on X, which I still say Twitter, by the way. Am I, st- am I the wrong by just saying Twitter? <laughs> no, just say Twitter. Okay. So yeah, on, on Twitter, Twitter yeah. Alex, your, your, your background photo, not your profile picture, but your little background photo, you're standing in the middle of the train track. I hope there was not a train coming. Clearly there was not. And, and nice mountains behind you and water. And you're wearing a sweatshirt that says Alaska. Now, I, I'm not in no way, shape, or form have I ever been a detective, but I can do deductive reasoning. So I'm assuming that picture was taken in Alaska, correct? Yeah, late August this year, I went to Alaska on a family vacation. Okay, so did you do? did you fly to Alaska? Did you do a cruise to Alaska? Did you do a long road trip to Alaska? Yeah, so we flew to Alaska, we flew into Anchorage, and then we stayed in some Airbnbs while we were there and then did a couple different tours. We did like a bus tour in Denali Park. We did a uh, we did a, a boat tour, like a, a cruise for like a, a day. It was like a six-hour cruise where we got to see a lot of cool stuff out there. And then we did a train ride as well. So a lot of sightseeing stuff. And then we also uh, we hiked up to a mountain and took some pictures. And I think that picture was actually on a drive to a, a city called Seward from Anchorage. So the oh Seward like as in the folly now yeah the the reason I ask you've knocked off probably the one that I would say the fewest people have been to uh, mm-hmm. that or North Dakota maybe Hawaii but I've been to all fifty and Alaska is the one place that I'll be honest Alex the entire time that I was in Alaska not only was the New Hampshire's the only other state where I could smell the cleanliness. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you, br- yeah. you breathe in and it's like you're, it's literally like the entire state's like an Irish spring bar of soap. Um, <laughs> but on top of that, it literally is the only place I've ever been to where I looked around and thought to myself, I can't believe I'm in the United States of America because it was that it, Hawaii would be the case, I guess. But 
Alaska was just different than anywhere else, and I thought it was absolutely the most pristinely gorgeous. Like, if you don't believe in a higher being, you go to Alaska, and you're like, okay, somebody had to make this. It's unbelievable. I loved it. Yeah, it left me breathless multiple times. I was just capturing everything I could on my phone and trying to enjoy it with not looking through a lens and kind of just seeing things with my eyes. And it's hard to really explain, and people kept asking me how great was the trip. It's like I can't even explain it to you. You just have to go, honestly to enjoy it it was uh late august so that was kind of when their summer was ending it was a little cool but it wasn't too bad Uh, a little bit rainy as well but you just don't really care it's just it's such a nice atmosphere there's not a lot of people there traffic's not that bad just a little construction it's basically you take one road to get to mostly all your main places so i thought it it did feel like a totally different uh, experience than especially indiana but i uh I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would love to go back. I I, I, w- I couldn't tell people enough to, to make Great. sure they get out there. Totally before. agree. And you know, the one thing I never saw in Alaska, and, and I'm being totally serious here, and, and you don't realize it until you realize it, and then you can't unrealize it, okay? I didn't see a single billboard. Yeah, you're like, right. I, I, I didn't see those either. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you're like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, And that's when you realize it's just in an, you know how uninhabited it is. So you have how many states left? Oh, I have quite a few. I'm not a big traveler, Jake, to be honest with you. Uh, Florida, Texas, Alaska, California. I've never been to New York, so I would like to go out east sometime here. I think me and my wife have talked about doing that. Uh, I've gone to Tennessee, I think. You gotta, uh, off the top of my head, that's about it. you got to go watch the Pacers in the Garden. That, that's your assignment. I'm, Okay, I'll try to do that this year or next year at some point. It's a lot of money. I've heard the garden's expensive, but <laughs> well, it is that all of New York's expensive. But New York, man, New York's the greatest city in the world, man. I mean, it's yeah, New I, York. There's there's nothing quite like New York, no question about it. Uh, what's up and coming yeah. on the podcast? Right now, I think uh, our latest episode we just kind of recapped the last preseason game. We've got Keith Smith, uh, Keith Smith coming on. He's a, a cap analyst over uh, Spotrack coming up in the next couple of days, and. He covers a league, and then I also have started a blog this year. I've been doing it for the past couple of weeks. It's called the Blue and Golden So if anybody wants to check out written work there, that'd be uh, that'd be awesome. I uh, was able to cover last night's preseason game for my first actual uh, game as a media member, so that was a lot of fun as well. Alex, always appreciate you making the time. Looking forward to reading more of the blog as well as following along with the podcast, and can't wait to talk to you as the season unfolds. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun year, a fun year, guys. So I'll talk to you later. Appreciate it. Alex Golden, again, Setting the Pace is the podcast. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is a major and important issue to discuss with Stephen Holder today because, as we know, with Query and Company, Stephen Holder is the main shareholder. So as a result, he does have say in some of the decisions, probably, certainly financial ones, that take place within the company. He joins us now on the hotline, and we have a very important Jim Ursay interview to get to. But, Stephen, before we do that, and thank you for your time from ESPN.com, I need to run past you something that's a new development within the show and get your opinion on it, and you're okay. Okay? Is that fair? I mean, as a, as a shareholder, this is of great importance to me, whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So here's the deal. Steven, you're a married guy, right? Yes. And you know that you, you have spent time with, with me and, and my girlfriend. 
Shannon, who I you've have. met. Matter of fact, I believe we have gone, the four of us have done things together. So we know that women have incredible intuition, right? Women are very smart, and you can't BS a woman, right? We both know this, right? This is true. Okay. So what I did is – it. it in terms of this radio show, I went out and spent a great deal of money, and this is a prototype, something that I bought off the internet, and it's called the English Elixir. This is a BS detector, and what it does is I have bought this prototype, that, and I bought the, I spent a little extra. I spent a little extra to get the female version of it because I figured that has a better BS detector than a guy. And what this is is a fabulous new invention that I bought off the internet from out of country, by the way. It took a long time to get here. And you you run a soundbite or a clip of an athlete or a coach talking into the English elixir, and it then interprets it and tells you the reality of what the person is really trying to say to you, okay? So... When it comes to the situation with Anthony Richardson, we have a clip of Shane Steichen. I want to run it through the English elixir, get the actual <laughs> female BS interpretation of what is being said, and then match it to what Jim Irsay told you. As a result, what I'm doing is I want to judge whether or not I got my money's worth with the English elixir and whether or not this is a good investment that I made. Okay? Yeah. So, like a business expense too, by the way. So uh, exactly. There might be some, yeah, this might be a way to be written right. off. So right. here's what we're going to do. So your job now, Stephen Holder, is to assess and evaluate whether or not this elixir is is properly interpreting a soundbite, okay? Got and it. using your Jim Mercer interview about Anthony Richardson as the barometer by which to grade the validity of the elixir's interpretation. So here is Shane Steichen talking about Anthony Richardson and the possibility of surgery and other things when it comes to Richardson's future. Here it is a priority. Obviously, we want to do what's best for him uh, in this organization, um, you know, moving forward. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll make the decision uh, when the time's right and when we're still evaluating that process. Okay, now, Stephen, we're going to put this through the English elixir. Eddie, go ahead and fire up the, the computer here. Okay. It's interpreting. It's interpreting. Okay, it has the translation, and the translation, Stephen, is this, and then you can grade the, the, the reality or the validity of the translation and whether or not I got my money's worth. Here we go. Who are we kidding? Subluxations, nerve regenerations, snowboarding. Everyone has heard this crap before. He's done for the year. Bring on Uncle Rico. Okay. Stephen, you talk to the guy in charge, Jim Ursay. Tell us what you know and then grade for me whether or not I got my money's worth from the English elixir. <laughs> I think your 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 English elixir is probably right for the most part. I just think that it's it's so good that it can see into the future because that is going to be where this goes. Except they aren't necessarily there yet, but they're about they're going to get there as far as I can tell. So I actually think it's almost too good because again, it's it's foreseeing the future, which is amazing. Yeah, I it, think you I think good investment. Good investment. Follow up is are these the type of dangers of AI they've been warning us about? Like have we gone too far here, do you think? <laughs> it's a little scary. I'm <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's a little scary. Yeah. So Steven, yeah, take I, us I really through do, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, so let me put it in context for you. I think everybody is to a great extent telling the truth. Uh there are different ways of looking at all of this. So I know it, it kind of, when you try to digest it, it might be confusing, but here's what I would say. So that clip, that clip of Steichen, that was me asking him kind of, you know, is this being viewed 
in terms of the long-term future of Anthony Richardson versus like, can we get him back and play this year, which no one should care about. Okay. Like in the grand scheme, like it's great if that happens, but like no one should care about that. If that happens, that is like an absolute bonus in this whole thing, you know? So that, well, my question was asked with that context, like, is this about, is this being viewed in the, the bigger picture context? You know, and he, he affirmed that to be true. And then my conversation with Jim Mercer later, it was basically kind of the same thing, you know, kind of like, what have you learned through the Andrew Luck situation, for example, which I, to this day, believe was not handled in a, in, in, you know, with the long-term viewpoint in mind. And I'm not putting it on the organization specifically. I mean, Andrew was really the speaker in that, and he wanted to get back. He, he had a partial tear in that labrum in week three in 2015. I just looked this up. He missed two games, which is crazy. Of course, he threw for 300 yards against the Patriots in his first game back. But the point is, they never fixed it. And then so he had an injury that could maybe be limited to one year affected him over parts of three seasons instead. So anyway, that is the takeaway here. I have a bigger story about that whole Andrew Luck elephant in the room coming out, I think probably tomorrow. So anyway, that, that was kind of the genesis of my conversation with with uh, Jim Mercer. Okay, so take me through that, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Uh, obviously, it was the headlines last night, including on local news. I saw you know your story being credited, so I appreciate having you on today. Take me through the conversation with Jim Mercer about Anthony Richardson, um, the transparency, if you will, and how the conversation was initiated. So, I mean, I had reached out to him because I wanted to get his I wanted to get his context, you know, and when I bring the Andrew Luck angle into this, which is something I was doing. So I wanted, you know, he obviously lived through that and and had thoughts about it and so forth. So that was kind of the genesis of our conversation. But, you know, we got into just, you know, where this is going. And the one thing I would say is that he emphasized a couple of things. Number one, he did say the news was, in his opinion, that this thing is headed toward a season-ending injury, likely to have surgery, that decision coming within a week or so, we'll see. I do think that's that's true in talking to other people. Now, the distinction, and, and this is something Jim Mercer said, the important distinction is that decision has not been made yet. Now, as I understand it from talking to other people, they are doing daily consultation with, with some of the top orthopedics in the country, and not just their own doctors, the, not just the Colts own doctors, they're, they're consulting with doctors in other parts of the country as well, who are household names in that industry. Um, I'll botch their names if I try to say them, so I won't, but anyhow, that is happening daily. They're talking to Chris Ballard. They're talking to Anthony Richardson's camp there. Everyone is in, in consultation with each other. And, and as the swelling subsides, they can see a little more, so that helps us. So what that tells me is they're taking their time. That is a very good thing. Even if they think they know where it's going to go, there's nothing wrong with taking your time and letting this, letting the decision play out, you know, and, and getting the maximum amount of information to make a good decision. So that's what's happening right now, even though it does appear we know where this is headed. 
culture reporter for ESPN.com. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, you highlight this in your piece, and I think it's a critical portion of the piece, and I want to have you elaborate on it in regards to Anthony Richardson having a say in this. One of the quotes is, we're just trying to figure out exactly how and when and what we want to do and what Anthony wants to do. And you highlight that from, obviously, Jim Irsay. That's a key element to all of this. Is that a philosophical shift? What should be the takeaways from that, from fans in terms of how the organization is doing things, the fact that they are valuing greatly the opinion of their future star in this process? It is good that they are valuing his his say in it, but I also don't think it's a huge shift because one of the things that that I think gets lost in these conversations, and it's not anyone's fault, it just it just never gets emphasized enough, is that if a player, for example, is going to have surgery, well, ultimately, if you're going to put a knife on my shoulder, that's my decision, right? And, and if it's necessary, it's necessary. I mean, if you tear your ACL. You're not going to just kind of go out there and say, well, you know, I'll just rehab it. Well, that's, that, that's not how that works. <laughs> so you go get surgery. But if there is uh, some ambiguity and, and there's maybe a choice to be made, we can either do surgery or we can do X. You know, sometimes that is the case. And this may be one of those instances. In those scenarios, the players say, it, it has a lot of weight in the decision because ultimately – only the player can decide whether they are okay with, with undergoing surgery. So that's what he's getting at there. And that was true with Andrew Luck, and it's true here. Uh, I think what, what I think is important is what is everybody around the player saying and, what, and how are they arriving at, at their decision and their opinions. And I think, obviously, players in many cases are – are always going to say, okay, well, what can get me back on the field the fastest? And I get that. Of course, there's a lot of pressure on Anthony Richardson to get out there and be this franchise savior and all that, right? I get that. But there's also, like, the tone around him is important. And if the tone around him, and and every indication is that the tone of the people around him is like, hey, don't worry about it. Like, let's figure out what's the best for you in the long term. It's not about and should not be a conversation about getting him back right now. And it, it is not that conversation, as far as I can tell. I think that's a very good thing. Now, I can't tell you the particulars of the conversation around Andrew Luck when, when those decisions were made. I don't know what everyone else in the building was telling him. I don't know what the doctors were saying. Certainly, there was, I'm sure, all the evidence and all the options were presented. But... I do think that you can emphasize to the player what is most important and that they will make their decision accordingly. And in here, in this particular case, it's being emphasized to him that 2023 is not what this is about. Stephen, let me ask this question. If let, Let's just say for the sake of argument that they announce next week that Anthony Richardson is out for the year, right? And I think – and I agree – I think it's going to be because they know – like I've, like I've said on the air a thousand times already, if you have $10,000, you can either kind of spend it down, take care of what you need to, or you can invest it and then wait, and a year from now, it's worth $10,300, right? And you take the, the interest right. on it. And that, that's kind of where they are. You know, there's a long-term gain here to be had that you can get by not sacrifice, you know, by not getting greedy. But 
if, in fact, Anthony Richardson is done for the year and Gardner Minshew is your guy, do the Colts continue? Does it reset the expectation from the ownership and general manager standpoint of, I mean, do they do they still go all in and do everything they can to try to to, to get into the playoffs and, and, you know, whatever else? Or they do they themselves kind of temper their expectations of what that means? Well, I think human nature means that you will probably temper your expectations some. There's no doubt about that. I mean, I, from talking to from talking to to Jamerse, I mean, <laughs> there was definitely a resignation that this is a blow. Like that is un, that is without question clear from my conversation. However, the other takeaway that I had was that while that's true. He also didn't say, well, that's that. (laughs) It's not what he said. I mean, he talked about – he even speculated on how many games it might take to win the division and and things of that nature. And and That kind of answers that question, right? Absolutely it does. Absolutely. Now, whether – whether we're talking about the expectation of challenging for the division, now that's maybe different. I'm not saying they expect – to win the division or or compete for the division, but they certainly don't think it's out of the question. There's no doubt about it. And and I'll tell you, I've had some conversations before the season with Jim Mersey that he, now they were not explicit him saying this, but but there were there were elements of those conversations that suggested to me that the expectations were low. Okay, going into the season, and then I think they got going, <laughs> and then it was kind of like, well, wait a minute. Maybe we got something here. So it's been kind of all, it's been kind of an, an emotional roller coaster. You know, you start the season with these minimal expectations, you get going, and now it's like, man, maybe we could do something this year. Then the quarterback gets hurt, and now you're trying to figure out, okay, well, where, who are we and where are we? And that's where they are now. But, but no, they haven't written this off. They won't tank, they won't do any of the sort. Uh, you know, if it changes and they go on a losing streak, well, then maybe let's talk in, in a month. But but for right now, no, that, I don't see that being the case. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. How much does it complicate the transactions or decisions on players that they're going to have to make this offseason, most notably Michael Pittman Jr., knowing that, and Jake brought this up earlier, you got a small sample size with how they play off each other, how they, how they work together. How much does that impact the decisions they're going to have to make this offseason, knowing they have a very small sample size of work from Richardson and other personnel to build off of? Yeah, you mentioned Pittman. I mean, he is suspect number one when you talk about guys who are impacted by by this, the quarterback issues generally. I mean, I, I posted this on Twitter yesterday. I think that was his, uh, Pittman, that was his sixth 100-yard game of his career on Sunday. In those six 100-yard performances, he's had four different quarterbacks. <laughs> and I think in total, he's had seven or eight different starting quarterbacks in his four seasons, not even a full four. Three, three and a half seasons now, you know? So, that's wild. Okay, it's pretty wild. So, yes, it complicates those kinds of things. I do think with Pittman, I think they know. You, you either by now you're either in or you're out. I, I don't really yeah. think there's a lot more you can learn. They're really, the, it boils down to the money and and where that falls, and if you're okay with it, and that will be decided later. I don't know what that looks like now. I don't think the Colts know what that looks like right now, but. 
but in terms of whether you want the player or not, like that, that decision should be clear by now. Like there's, to me at least, I don't think there's any doubt. You know what he is, and the question is only what he can be with a more consistent quarterback situation. But what he is is pretty good. Whether he can be more is is still an open question, and and maybe he can realize that with some quarterback consistency. So I think what it does is it, it just kind of this year was really about in general, not just about any one player. I think in general, this team was, a, this, this season was about assessment and, and to see number one, what is Anthony Richardson and what can he be? Can he be the guy? I think we know he can be the guy that is clear. And then beyond that, you know, they wanted to see what else this roster was. That's why they didn't make many moves this past off season. They were really evaluating this team and, and trying to figure out where they were coming or going and, and I think they got some good early returns, but, but definitely losing the quarterback, it, it impacts your ability to evaluate who you are as a team, and that's where it really hurts, and it, it, it is a setback from an evaluation standpoint. Yeah, I just think, Stephen, we talked about this earlier, I, you know, there are so many players that this has implication on because, for example, it, it, again, I'm going to speak in hypothetical, but, but I think pretty accurate hypothetical that Richardson let's say that he is done for the year okay so next year he comes back that is essentially his rookie year part duh okay so he goes through that rookie year then year three which is now you know really year two is when he's for the first time seeing defenses that have schemed for him that have a year on tape on him where he's seeing different looks etc I mean you know the process don't you have to then there are just so many players that the timelines get kind of thrown into whack right I mean Ryan Kelly is Ryan Kelly going to be your center in three years it is is Pittman do you sign Pittman to a big deal not you know, with the front-loaded money Taylor for that matter Jonathan Taylor is going to be coming off of the front-loaded money after that year two the timelines I just think this has bigger monkey wrench implications than one would expect am I am I too cynical here no, no that's true that, that's that's the NFL I mean you know what a generation for an NFL team is like four years. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? Like people forget that sometimes because as a fan, you know, you've been a fan for just like anybody, just play, fan X. If you've been a fan for 10 years, you know, they all kind of are linked for you, but really on a, on a micro scale and from a micro standpoint, I mean, that's what it is. It's like three or four year rolling periods where your team almost turns over entirely. The only time that's not true is when you have like a, a Mahomes type quarterback and, and he ties it all together for 15 years or something, you know, or Aaron Rodgers with the, with the Packers. So like for, you know, there, there's like four, there's like three generations of Packers teams and he is the link to all of them. <laughs> but, but those teams changed almost entirely. Because that's what happened. So now look at this roster. You know, guys like Ryan Kelly, you hit it on the head. You know, his contract's going to be coming up. Uh, even a guy like Quentin Nelson, I mean, he's had some injuries over the years. He's playing great this year. But I'm just saying, you know, two, three years from now, those players are now into the, the latter stages of their careers. Uh, a guy like DeForest Buckner is still in his prime. Will he be in his prime in three years? Maybe not. I don't know. You know, so it, it is a very challenging thing 
And I think people have to look at it in, in that respect. And, and the, the Colts in particular are an interesting team when you look at them through this prism because they have all this youth. They have so many young guys like Juju Brents who are just kind of wet behind the ears. And then the other half of their team is like, <laughs> it's like, all right, well, the clock's ticking for me. And so it's a really interesting dynamic. And you're right. I mean, Anthony Richardson is the one guy who can maybe tie it all together. And so he is now losing potentially an entire rookie season. And, and that hurts. You know, Stephen, a lot of people would look at the schedule and and naturally, you know, you start looking at it and you're finding wins, right? It's it's like being a Miami football fan or a Clemson fan at this point. It's been a disappointment, mm-hmm. but you're looking at wins. You're going, okay, so can we get one here, get one there? Colts fans are probably looking at the schedule and initially you're thinking like, okay, well, they bounce back from a disappointment in Jacksonville. They get a win because they, go you know, they got Cleveland next. Dude, that defense is no joke. I mean, this is a legitimate challenge for them on Sunday, is it not? The Cleveland Browns defense is on pace. I'm not saying they're going to keep this up, but they are on statistically to be one of the best defenses in like 40 years, man. It is insane. Insane. I believe they have allowed the third fewest points through six weeks than any team since 1970. I wasn't born in 1970. I won't ask if you were. I wasn't. I was not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this is insane. We're not talking about, oh, you know, they got some guys. That they're... No, 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 no. This is this is historic stuff. You know, I, I was telling this, to, I believe I was t- telling JMV this yesterday. You've got, you know, a Jacksonville team that up front, they have some, some guys that you know about. You know, you know the Josh Allens and, and Tavon Walkers and what have you. But and th- with Cleveland, they have that. And then – to boot, they have this secondary that is elite too. <laughs> so, like it's it's front, it's on the back end. Like they have nothing but playmakers all across that defense. And and the Colts, the the only the only guy they've seen on Miles Garrett level so far, really is Aaron the game a couple weeks ago. So like that's what you're getting this week, plus all the other stars on this defense. So no, it's going to be really tough. And and. Deshaun Watson might be back this week. Remember, they they did what they did on Sunday against the 49ers. And that's shoulder also, right? I'm sorry, sorry, I missed you. Yeah, Deshaun Watson's injury is also a shoulder, correct? Shoulder injury, yes. Okay. So so that's why it's it's been something where they've taken their time with it. Uh, as I just from the reports that I read, you know, the, he wasn't able, to, has not been able to throw without pain in that shoulder. And that's going to impact how you're able to operate as a quarterback. But there's some optimism that he could be back this week. So I I don't believe, at least they don't believe, that uh, it's something where he could, um, you know, worsen the injury by playing. It might just come down to whether he can function properly. This past weekend was one of Gardner Minshew's worst games of his career. Obviously, turning the, turning the ball over as much as he did, throwing three picks. Uh, there was a piece on Colts.com by J.J. Stankovitz highlighting, you know, all the like just the numbers on his career and how interceptions have not been a big deal. As you followed this team, and again, Stephen Holder's our guest. You can get his work on ESPN.com. As you followed his career and knowing what the Colts are going to need from him over the next couple of weeks, not just from wins and losses, but from overall roster development. Is that an anomaly game, or should you be concerned, especially with how well Cleveland's played defensively, that this might not just be a blip? 
Well, I, I would say this for Gardner. He's not been a high interception player in his career. Um, he he has had, in fact, I'm looking at it now, his, his rookie season, he had a career-high six interceptions. That's pretty good. That's, you know, in, you're talking about 12 starts. That is on the, on the low end, I think, you know, in terms of interception, interception percentage. You know, he's, he's generally been, you know, between 1%, 1.5%. I mean, that, that's very acceptable. So he's, he's definitely off to a – I mean, I don't know that he's ever had a, a, a game with multiple interceptions even, you know. So it was, it was an anomaly, I think, from a turnover perspective, certainly. Now, when you get Gardner Minshew down a bunch of points – though you're going to have these situations because now you are asking him to do things that he is not necessarily equipped to do. You know, while he did throw for a lot of yards in that game and, and the Colts from a statistical perspective generated a a lot of production, you know, it, it did take, first of all, it took 55 passes to do it. So that's not very efficient. Number one, number two, you also have the situation where, you know, he, he's, his success really will come if the Colts can have balance and you can have some play action opportunities where you can kind of, you know, get him in some optimum matchups, get the receivers in optimum matchups and maybe draw them in with the draw the defense in with the, the play action. They didn't really have any of that this week because the, the running game just, it had, it wasn't producing anything. So anyhow, I just think the situation for Gardner Minshew has to be ideal. And that was the most unideal scenario you can even imagine for Gardner Minshew. So they've got to play their kind of game in order to, to make him effective. Now, if the, the Colts can limit Cleveland offensively, at least it becomes a more manageable game in terms of the score. And, and maybe you can you know, pick your spots a little more. But I don't know. It's still going to be tough, I think. It'll be an interesting game, though, just to see – how they match up against that really tough defense. Finally, Stephen, give us a glimpse, a little preview, if you will, on the column that you have upcoming you were talking about in relation to Andrew Luck and how it might tie into today. Yeah, I just think that there is an absolute, um, fair is the wrong word, but hyper-awareness, let's put it that way. There is a hyper-awareness in that organization to not let a repeat situation happen. And that's happening without assigning blame or any of that, because it doesn't even matter how it happened or or whose fault it was, I should say. How it happened matters. Whose fault it was doesn't matter. The point is, there were some decisions made that that ultimately did not work out in Andrew Luck's best interest when it came to, to how to deal with that shoulder injury. So they are hell bent not letting that happen again. Number one, no one wants to go through what happened there. Number two, they see the the promise in Anthony Richardson. That's the thing. I mean, I will tell you, I, I know from the outside looking in, maybe in other markets, there might be some questions about Anthony Richardson, and that's fine. I mean, we've only seen a little bit of him, right? But I will tell you right here and right now, this is their guy. They love him. They believe in him. They think he can – do anything. They think he can take them and make them a contender. They're convinced. Doesn't mean that they are, they aren't wrong, but in their mind, Anthony Richardson is the guy. So they are going to 
move heaven and earth to get this right. And I think it's a great thing if you're a Colts fan, even though it sucks right now because he's a fun guy to watch. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Actually, Stephen, let me ask you one more thing. Everything that we have read, everything we've heard, everything we've seen is that, in fact, for sure, everything you just said, he is the guy, and there is no doubt that he's the guy. So the question then becomes this. Um, Has Anthony Richardson shown to you, and maybe there's no way to know this, so far he's answered every bell from the psychological, mental, intellectual standpoint. But do you believe that he is the kind of player – how much can it alter a player's psyche to go through what potentially he's about to go through? And that is sitting, arm in a sling, watching, and having to wait on your body. Oh, it it has affected him. There's no doubt about that. Um, I actually actually heard some some – just, you know, how it's it's really weighed on him. It really, really has weighed on him. Uh, this is a guy who who really takes his role uh, seriously. You know, it, it, he understands. He might be young, but he is mature beyond his years, and he understands. You know, his importance to this franchise. You know what it means to be a top ten pick. He he gets it. He really, really gets it. And uh, as I understand it, you know that Sunday night after the injury happened, you know when the gravity hit him. Uh, he got really emotional from what I understand. And it it was hard. It was hard. But I do think the good thing is that he is, uh, he does have a maturity about him that I think will allow him to work and battle and come back from this. And, you know, in in a weird way, he could be even hungrier when this is over with and, and really wanted even more. So that's, that's the hope. And, uh, and that's the kind of makeup I think that he has. Stephen, appreciate the time. I'm glad, by the way, to know as a shareholder of the company that the English Elixir appears to be – I did not get ripped. I bought it I, yeah, kind of off market. It took a long time to get here, long shipping. It was very expensive, very expensive. So, um, so far you are saying it. we're one for one with it. The interpretations appear to be relatively accurate, and it's probably good that I bought the female version because it has better intuition, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a board member, you know, I, I think that being prudent with the funds is very important. So, yeah. By the way, is Clemson Miami this weekend? Oh my God, I should know this. Um, I feel like no, but I but don't I, quote me on that. Hold on, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But the season ended when Mario wouldn't take a knee. So, as far as I can, yes, <laughs> it is. By the way, Clemson Miami's this yes. weekend, right? Yep. It's yep. It, where is it? Is it in Coral Gables? Yeah, it's in Miami. Yes, Stephen. Are, are we putting a wager on this? A friendly wager on this? I, yeah, we probably should. Uh, yeah, let's. I tell you what. Text me after the show. Let's figure this out. It's got to be. I mean, it's going to be minimal, right? Because I don't think either <laughs> one of us is overly confident here. Right? No one has confidence. That's yeah, right. <laughs> we we are we are the, the same team. We are basically the same. Yeah, team. you're right. No, you're right about that. All right, I'll figure out the wager. And I'll let you know. All right. See you guys. All right, Stephen Holder from ESPN.com.